The Women of Ill Repute, with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Hey, Maureen, I know you care about a lot of things, but do you have like an actual cause? Like a a cause? Yeah, you know, like a a fundraiser. Like you used to do stuff for breast cancer. We both had that. Like something that you throw your support behind. I totally support breast cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yeah, the more the merrier. Everyone's going to get it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I support cancer research and, and oh. uh, I, yeah, I know, saving the whales or helping Ukrainian refugees. I know you're, you're involved in helping Afghani refugees. Climate change, I think, is probably the most important cause because if we don't look after that, nothing else matters. I would definitely agree. Climate change, uh, really important. Also, after Roe versus Wade and that whole thing, protecting women's oh, yeah. reproductive rights. The oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anti-bullying. Anti, uh, anti-bullying is yeah. a big thing. Poverty. I'm not. I'm against it. Uh, racism. I'm kind of against that too. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I think you're totally against yeah. that. Gender inequality is a big one. Misinformation. I mean, some people sh- say I should talk, being in media, but misinformation. Try and tell the truth. Ageism. Ageism. Uh, mental health. That's a hot one. Mental health. I'm. I'm for that. <laughs> <laughs> for mental health. I'm. I'm against substance abuse. Yeah, well, the abuse part, the substance part. Yes, yeah, the substances I'm fine with. I hear you. <laughs> uh, there's more, uh, but there's so little time. I'm against all those things, but honestly, it's kind of overwhelming. I I wonder, you know, just how much can one person do? One person. Yeah. One. Okay. Well, um, you know, there's Gandhi. He was one person. <laughs> so are you Gandhi? I'm not going to be Gandhi. <laughs> Uh, no, okay. no. Martin Luther King, he was one yes. guy. Yes. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Yes. Rosa Parks. Yes. Did um, a lot of things. Malala. Malala. Uh, Greta Thunberg on the environment. I think that almost without fail, all of these activists, the people that have changed the world, started young. Yeah. Like, like, like Hannah Alper. Well, Hannah Alper is amazing. She I, she started at nine. Part of it is her parents being an only kid, and but she's also like really committed. And she was she was going to change the world, which we're all going to do at nine. But she actually started a blog. Uh, other kids followed it. She encouraged them to step up, join the fight. She started with animal welfare, protecting the environment. Now it's kind of like everything. But she's she's a big deal. She is a big deal, and she's got thousands and thousands of followers, very adept at social media. Now, she's giving motivational speeches. She's giving TED Talks. She she interviewed a lot of her uh, inspirations, including uh, Malala, and then uh, she wrote a book. And then the next thing you know, people are calling her Canada's Greta Thunberg, but, you know, with a, with a sense of humor. And she's uh, she's all grown up now. She's uh, yeah. she's at the advanced age of nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, and she's going to university where you know hope she's drinking and doing all those other things. She's studying <laughs> journalism, which I think is a really great thing. Um, mm-hmm. She probably looks at us as a couple of veterans, but uh, we are. Yeah, we are. I think she's our. Well, she's got to be our youngest guest. She's. Is she, but is she too young to be a woman of ill repute? Uh, well, I don't, you know what? I don't think you're too young, but I don't even know if she knows what that means. So let's find out. Welcome, Hannah Alper. Hi, Hannah. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. We are too. We were trying to think of like when some people think of the women of ill repute, they think of prostitutes or, you know, sex workers as they're, they're called these days. 
but you're obviously not that. So we were like, I guess the interesting thing is to try and figure to us, you're, you're a fighter. That's why we wanted to talk to you. But like, how do you, how do you see when you saw the title of the show? How, how do you see us? Honestly, I had no idea what it even meant. I'll be completely honest. I mean, I thought that it sounded really interesting, but I think that it's definitely a woman that kind of fights for what she believes in. I think that it can really, it's kind of like, I've been an activist since I was nine years old. And something that I talk about a lot is that really activism and finding and pursuing your passion, that can mean whatever you want. And that can mean whatever you're passionate about. And that word passionate, it can mean so many things. You know, it's about asking yourself, you know, what do you love? What do you deeply care about? What do you want to tell the world? But, you know, making a difference or changing the world or fighting for something, it doesn't have to mean you standing on a stage like I've done talking to people because that can be really because as we know, that can be really frightening. And that might not be someone's thing. But I think that being a woman of repute, I think that it can just mean that you're fighting for what you believe in and you're standing up for you're standing up, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for other people in your community, whether it's for animals, wildlife, whether it's for the world, different issues, people that you do know or people that you don't know that are being affected by an issue locally or globally. So I think that it can mean so many things, but I'd love to hear what it means to both of you. Well, it's exactly that. You probably defined it better than we could. We just thought it was a sort of sassy, provocative title. So we went along with that. At the age of nine, I would not have had any, I mean, how did you even know what activism was? What woke you up? Oh, I definitely didn't. I think that the best kind of, you know, activists or anything like that, they don't even know what they're doing until it kind of gets something, until it kind of almost becomes something bigger than themselves. And that's sort of what happened with me. I started a blog with my, me and my parents had gone to this digital media summit in Philadelphia. And as you know, my dad, Eric Alper, has a blog. So I thought that I would just tag along. I was nine. I couldn't like walk around by myself. So I started a blog, but I had no idea what I wanted it to be about. And on the ride home, my mom told me that I couldn't write about how much I loved myself. And my dad told me that I couldn't write about how much that I love Justin Bieber. Oh, do you still love Justin Bieber? (laughs) Yeah, I'm still a believer always, always. But I had to find something that, you know, going back to that word that I was passionate about. And I didn't even like know what that word meant. So, you know, we talked it through and we literally asked ourselves like those, or I asked myself those same questions that I kind of ask other people today when I'm helping other people find what they're passionate about and what their issue is, what they're going to fight for the world. So I, you know, I asked myself, what do I love? What do I care about? What do I want to tell the world? And me and my parents talked it through and The only thing that I knew that I really loved was animals. I have two dogs at home. You know, I can't really walk by a dog that asks if I can pet it. And so we kind of started together with my parents learning about issues that are affecting the environment and then in turn animals that are really man-made. And it was just so devastating. But at the same time, I kind of turned that devastation into motivation. And prior to that, I was in the eco club at school. You know, I had made like posters that was saying, you know, save the environment, everything like that. But this was really putting my voice out there. And so it started really small. It was kind of, you know, me sharing different actions that I was doing to help the environment, whether it was eco-friendly cleaning supplies or an eco-friendly garage or shoreline cleanups. And but kind of through those, there were almost lessons that I kind of implemented into my blog then that I implement into every platform that I use to take action on so many different issues now. And so I kind of talk about the idea that it's the little things that add up to make a big difference. 
Yeah, well, we can get into the causes. I want to hear way more about the causes because obviously the, the planet's on fire and you're, you're trying to put the fire out. It can be so depressing, I know. But I want one more question about your parents because I'm an only child. We raised an only child who's just a little bit older than you and she's fighting for stuff too. And oh, I can't have her on because she's my daughter. So we had you instead. <laughs> But what's the, I mean, there must be a lot of, there must be a lot of pressure. I mean, you were out doing TED Talks when you were 10 years old or nine years old. The blog started when you were nine. I mean, like, talk to us about that. I mean, you're like huge now. You've got all these followers. You do speeches. You're motivational. You're, but I just wonder about being an only child and having all the weight of your parents on your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, I'm extremely lucky because I feel like that, yeah, while I definitely did feel a lot of pressure and expectations throughout my life since I was literally nine years old about just kind of always carrying myself in a certain way. And I feel like I've always been really mature because of that. And I've always been able to engage with people older than me. And, you know, when I was doing all of the different events, including like We Day, I talked to so many different stakeholders and sponsors and everything like that. And you kind of were always taught to always sort of be on. And, you know, to say yes to everything. And it's just kind of interesting that, you know, I'm 19 years old now. I'm definitely like not the same person that I was when I was nine. And I'm kind of learning about how just to like with myself, like how those expectations and just the kind of the things that I was taught, not necessarily by my parents, but just the things that I was instilled upon when I was nine, how that's kind of like shaped who I am today in so many good ways. And also I'm a super, super compassionate person. And my parents are as well. And they're my biggest champions. And they're, I think, the greatest people in the world. And they support me, they ground me, they make me feel confident. And they've also said, you know, if you're too stressed, you can stop at any time. But I think that you you both know that when you're passionate about something, when you find that when that spark is ignited, you can't stop. And it's just it's it's almost its own force at that point. And you're almost kind of like just the vessel of it. And I was just became passionate about so many issues. But I'm a really compassionate person towards all of my friends and people around me and the world and issues and everything like that. But I think recently I've kind of taken into account and realized that you can still be compassionate to others while being compassionate for yourself and standing up for yourself. And the whole advocating for yourself, especially as a woman and a woman in media, I think in, in activism is something that's really important, something that I'm kind of just realizing because I think that for a lot of young women that it's almost instilled in us that we have to be super and we we should be really kind to everyone. And I really believe in kindness. I am very much a kiln with kindness. I literally coined the term kind raising, which is literally fundraising, but for kindness, because you don't have to always change the world with money. You can do it through kindness, compassion, empathy. But I think at the same time, there's just this almost myth that in order to be kind to everyone, you kind of always have to put other people before you. And because I've been an activist for so long. I've been putting so many kind of issues before me. So anyways, that's my long-winded rant of just saying that I'm kind of learning to advocate for myself and stand up for myself and also saying no to more stuff, definitely. Because as I, I'm in university, I'm kind of learning more about myself as an adult, which is so weird to think about, but kind of that I don't actually have to say yes to everything, which is something that me and my parents were doing constantly because I was trying to get a name for myself and I was trying to reach as many people as possible with my messages and hopefully inspire people to do even one thing that leaves the world a little bit better than they first found it. But also you can do all of that while not saying yes to everything and really putting yourself first, which is so important. I'm sure that's something that you've both learned in your journeys. Still learning it. 
Let's talk about being a 19-year-old at Western. My eldest son went there, and you were in residence last year, and you're now moving into a house. You know, And I know that because there was an article in the newspaper about it, because that's who you are now. People are interested in like, oh my God, Hannah's living in a house now. But what about being a 19-year-old girl, young woman, at university? I mean, when I was your age, I'll tell you right now, I mean, all I, I was just getting high and hanging out with my boyfriend and listening to music. And that's important too, right? Yes, I love that. You know, like that's, you can still be doing incredible and extraordinary things and still be a kind of a normal 19-year-old and still go out and still do things. And I think that that's kind of one of the best parts. I remember one of my biggest accomplishments was probably interviewing Malala Yousafzai. And that was when I was, I think I was 15 doing that. And I was invited by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. She was, he was giving her her honorary Canadian citizenship. And I was the only person to receive a one-on-one interview with her. And she has been my biggest role model literally since I was 10 years old. Just before you tell us how wonderful and important and everything she is, was there anything wrong? Is there anything human? Like, were you able to see? She just seems like such a goddess. Right. That was the best part of it is that she was so normal. She loves Demi Lovato. We did the cup song together. She loves learning. She loves, I mean, maybe not every like 19 year old at that time loves learning, but she is just so normal. And I think that that was just such a testament to anyone of any kind of success level. They're all normal people kind of. And exactly. I'm, and yeah, I'm living at university and I'm doing things. And yeah, Western is an incredible school. And I think in the last year, I've learned definitely a lot more just about myself and being independent, especially coming out of a global pandemic. As a teenager, I I didn't get a prom. I didn't graduate high school normally. I literally like me and my parents and we went in our car and I like literally got my diploma from my teacher in a drive-through graduation and then took pictures of the balloon. And it was like cute, I guess, but it was so different. So I think there's just been so many mental health tolls on so many people my age and like everyone kind of in my age group in a way. And so it's just been really interesting kind of to navigate that normal high school experience kind of again and almost reclaiming that teenager experience that a lot of us missed out on that we're kind of all regaining. So you are you are partying and drinking and all this the the important things. <laughs> you can don't have to, but we just want to make sure you're having the full experience. I'm being social. You have to. And I mean, it's it's Western. It's Western. But it's an amazing school. And definitely Western had a very unique year in the past year. And I was living on residence. And it's definitely, I would be lying if I said that I felt safe all the time at school. This is the anti-Semitism stuff or the bullying? No, 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 no. Western had a series of students who were assaulted in residence. Yeah. It was literally in the first week too. It was, and so all of these parents sent their kids off for the first time and there was a series of sexual assaults and roofing and drugging and all that kind of stuff. And, and my, my parents were freaking out and, you know, every, every, every parent was. And so now it's kind of a now just known at Western and within any university as just September. And I think it's just very eerie, but we've had a very unique few years, just my age group in general. But I think it's been amazing kind of just being a normal, you know, 19 year old, but then also at the same time, you can also do so many things and you can still follow your passions and pursue your passions. And it's something that I just genuinely love to do. It doesn't feel like work to me. So if I can do both, and of course, when I was younger and when I was traveling around the world and, you know, I was missing parties, I was missing hanging out with my friends, but I think I've been able to find a really good balance to it. And you, you know, you know, you make time for the things that you love and the things that you're passionate about. And also you find your community through that. 
you make friends, you meet people. And I think community is so, so important. I've been able to find a lot of that through social media. And at university, I'm a really big part of my student newspaper, which I love. And finding that community of people, like-minded people that just kind of get it, right? Quote, unquote, they get it is incredible. But does everybody get it? I mean, we talked to be, like before you said, yeah, it's kind of depressing when you look at all the, the droughts and fires and pestilence around the world. But I, you're studying journalism, which, of course, as a journalist, I find really interesting. One of your big issues is climate change and the environment and so on. And, and it reminded me that it wasn't that long ago, like maybe even five years ago, maybe even four years ago, that there was this sort of two sides that you weren't allowed to say in straight news, you weren't allowed to say that climate change was caused by humans. I mean, like, it's like saying that there's no such thing as gay people. It's just like nuts. So have we come someplace or do we like, I I think that most journalists don't feel that they have to say, on the other hand, (laughs) as Donald Trump supporters would say the old what aboutism. Yeah, but what about, you know, the so and so who says that there is no climate change caused by humans, let's have him on. Is there still, like, is that still treated seriously in journalism at all anywhere? Yeah, I think that as an activist and a journalist that you have to have hope for a better world. And I think that I'm also just a really big optimist. Uh, Gloria Steinem calls herself a hopeaholic, and I will totally copy that and call myself that as well. And I think that, yeah, I, I think it's really important to have conversations with people that disagree with you. And I'm sure that you both agree as journalists. And I also love your advice for being a journalist too, because that's just something that I would really love to hear from both of you. But I think that it's can be really difficult having conversations with people that you disagree with, but it is now more than ever. I think it's so necessary. And I think it's possible for two people that disagree with each other to actually somehow have a civilized conversation, especially if you realize that so much of those kind of whataboutisms and everything like that, that sometimes that can simply come from a lack of education or that can come from maybe their individual experiences. And I'm just, again, I think it's the whole kill them with kindness thing. And realizing that yelling at someone and restricting all conversations on the other side is going to actually do anything, is is like kind of realizing that doing that, that kind of blocking off any sort of conversation with people on the other side, people that disagree with you, that nothing is going to happen with that. And really real change happens when we're able to come together and we're able to find common ground to sit, to listen to each other and to learn kind of together. And, you know, the world wasn't built by people, you know, maybe it was built by less progressive people, but it wasn't built by people who we're all on the same side. And so that's how solutions come together is from people of all different backgrounds and experiences. And that's kind of where, you know, intersectionality comes into with realizing that climate change affects other minorities and underrepresented groups so much more. And I think with journalism, that's so interesting and something that I've just been exploring so much is kind of just how the media represents or misrepresents or underrepresents different groups in the world. And especially with something like gun violence, I find that that's that's an issue I'm really, really passionate about. And the organization March for Our Lives, an organization founded by young people focused on fighting gun control and gun prevention specifically in the United States. But they're kind of all about, and they were first founded in Parkland, which is a predominantly white area, but they are really focused on kind of helping areas like Chicago and places that are really affected by gun violence that they know that the media really misrepresents. The women of ill repute. If you had to pick one cause, and you know, and I would say my son is in, in uh, second year law, and he's <laughs> Wendy said when I said let's have Hannah on, she said, well, why not Ronan or Kate, our own kids? <laughs> We're all very proud of the next generation. 
It's pretty amazing. I know. Don't you have so much hope? Yes. Well, I do. I do. I do. And I also have a lot of fear. Oh, totally. You can tell me of both. Yeah. Well, Ronan's big thing, my son was in law school, his big thing is climate change as well. And uh, envi- environmental laws, what he's, uh, and he doesn't want to protect the big guys. He wants to fight the big guys. <laughs> he would make more money if he was protecting them. But he, he really feels like we're, if we're not out of time, we almost are. And you have an altruistic soul and you will embrace all sorts of topics. But what's the one that you feel that you really have to, you know, knuckle down on? Yeah, I'm, I mean, the environment is, it's, it's definitely the most urgent issue. And, but I also feel like that it's so interesting because if you look at all other kind of issues like education, global education, you know, for girls and in developing communities, and you look at clean water and health, they're kind of all so interconnected. And that if we put, you know, every single girl in the world and in developing communities, if we put them in school and they're able to go to university, they're able to get an education, which means they'll be able to provide for their family. And then you're kind of able to decrease the level of poverty in those places too. And then maybe those are the women that's also able to implement the real world solutions to climate change. And you're not really able to put girls through school or actually have a good education in developing communities if they're not healthy enough to go to school. So that's kind of where health comes in, but they're not healthy enough if they don't have clean water. And so that's kind of where putting wells in comes in and clean water in developing communities. So I think it's just so interesting how many issues are so deeply interconnected and that they're all kind of the pillars and everything. But I definitely think the environment is the most urgent one. But I think it's definitely the kind of thing where I've become so passionate about so many issues and that also there are so many incredible people that are fighting climate change and so many people with way more interesting perspectives and knowledge, the wealth of knowledge. And I'm sure with your son being an environmental lawyer, like that's really heavy. And also with, you know, environmental science. And that's something that I, I'm not as skilled in, but something that I think is really important that more people should be doing is shining a light on those people. You know, I'm very comfortable saying that I don't have enough knowledge to fight climate change, but I love shining a light on other people that are fighting the fight and that are doing real actions and that are researching and that are really implementing those solutions in the world. And that's also when, when we learn kind of about those people and when we learn about that there actually are good things happening in the world, then maybe we'll be motivated to take those individual actions in our everyday lives to make the world a little bit better. What, what do you think when you're like, sometimes people call you Canada's Greta Thunberg. What do you think of that? Speaking of famous people. Yeah, I hate that. I was once called like the Canadian Jewish Greta Thunberg. And I just, I am so inspired by her. I think that she is incredible, but I've also been an activist in my own right for 10 years. And I don't think that I should be compared at all. And I don't think, you know, no one would want to be compared to someone that's of that caliber, but just anything. And I think, I think Greta and I are also extremely different, whereas Greta is rightfully and justifiably very angry. She's really angry at all of the really big guys and all of the people in power, which is completely fair. But I kind of take a less aggressive stance in that way. And I also, I fight for so many issues. And my main issue isn't the environment. I'm really passionate about mental health and anti-bullying and poverty and education. I've been to Kenya three times to learn from people and Costa Rica to learn about poverty and marine life and marine mammals. And with Kenya, you know, building schools and water wells and learning from the community and then going back home and taking action through fundraising or education and awareness. And I've been bullied for my own activism. And so then writing a book and kind of using that to inspire other people to find what they're passionate about, whatever that is. Why would people bully you? Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, I was. So I was in grade eight and it was so long ago at this point, but it kind of, it's weird. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, it feels like yesterday, but all that, you know, all that, that cliche looking off into the distance stories, but I remember grade eight <laughs> and it was a lot longer ago. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do I. <laughs> and I feel like grade eight is one of those really weird times where everyone is just trying to fit in and everyone is, I feel like, trying to be something that they're not. And at this point, I'd been an activist for uh, four years and no one had ever really questioned me on it before. Maybe in grade eight, it was I, I was getting a little bit more involved on social media because I was actually old enough to get Twitter and Instagram. So I was posting more because I was realizing that social media is the best tool that anyone can use to change the world and to really inspire people with their messages and awareness and everything like that. And so all of a sudden, I was just starting getting bombarded at school. And there was a lot online that was happening. I like wrote an article for Yahoo, or it got published with Yahoo and AP News about Hillary Clinton. And I was like, you know, I, I'm still with her and whatever. And I got so many, so many hate comments. I was like 13. But then at school, then I was then being told like to go kill myself. I was being told that I was gay, which itself isn't even an insult. But they were using it as that in that derogatory, you know, slang terms, whatever. And, you know, anytime I sort of try to stand up for myself, they would say, oh, what are you going to go do, Hannah? Write a blog about it. And just all just stupid things like that. But it is so stupid. Why do we let that stuff hurt us? I mean, there's so many trolls out there. It's I don't know. You talk about, you know, if, if you tell people the truth, then maybe you'll have an impact and and they'll see that. But I don't know. Is that is that where we're heading? Can you change everything after you graduate with your journalism degree? Could you please, Hannah? Could you? <laughs> I would really love. I yeah, I would love to. We have to do it together. We got to do it with like the like amazing trailblazers and the amazing people from my generation. But it was really hard, and I remember so many times I or there were a few times where I would I called my mom from the bathroom and she would come pick me up from school because I just I couldn't be there. It was horrible, and so we you know talked with the school and everything like that, and things got handled in that way. But I think because people were so intent on, you know, trying to be someone that they're not and just to fit in, just to kind of get through it, that there was no one else that would stand up for me. There was just me, myself and I basically. And that year I sort of joined a youth group where I was really able to make so many incredible friends that literally saved me in high school. But I think that the biggest thing that I learned from that was just to always remember my why. And it's exactly that what you were saying that, you know, if there's 100 people in a room and 99 people are saying one good thing, why do we always overthink the one person that says something negative, like constantly? And I was receiving so many amazing feedback, but also I was 14 years old. I was a teenager. And so, of course, I cared about what my friends thought. I cared about what my peers thought and people in my school and everything that, especially when you're told something that heavy as like, oh, go kill yourself for activism. You're like, you don't even you can't even comprehend that in grade eight. So I think that my solution to that was really kind of just remembering my why and remembering that why am I going to let, frankly, stupid people, you know, stop me from doing something that I love, you know, not going to give them that satisfaction of winning. And also I, I wrote, I wrote a book that year and that was kind of like, that was my revenge. That was my burn book. And like from me, basically. And I, I wrote a chapter in it that was basically about my time being bullied. And it was called, you know, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. And I think that's such like a powerful thing that for anyone that's successful, they never did it alone. And I think that's a very common misconception, but also that it's really never easy. And I missed so much school those years because I was traveling and I with some missed social events and friends and inside jokes and just kind of those normal experiences. But I wouldn't trade it for any, for anything, but kind of that whole idea that, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but, you know, words, words hurt. 
And that's why I kind of try now really to talk about bullying and mental health and be more open about it. And especially with men's mental health, I think that's something that's really important and something that's not talked about enough. But that's why I'm also really lucky to have worked with companies like Dove, who is so about self-esteem. And I feel a really real and authentic way. And as kind of an influencer, I really try to work with brands that really care about that kind of stuff. One of their campaigns was really was inspiring people to just have a genuine conversation with someone and ask someone, how are you and actually mean it? And for the other person to say something other than, oh, I'm fine, because usually I'm fine can mean so many, just a million different things. So it's it's changed a lot because I'm, I'm thinking you mentioned Dove. So it was a friend of mine who was uh, the creative director who came up with that campaign before you were born that showed imperfect women. Or they were five pounds overweight. But now, I mean, Dove is still, it sounds like I don't follow things enough, but it uh, sounds like they're like involved in a whole bunch of issues, which is great. They're incredible. And more companies need to do that. And I'm sure like your son as a lawyer knows that, that more companies need to ask. Not a lawyer yet. <laughs> oh, not a lawyer yet. Cross the fingers. But, you know, like I think so many companies, that's where the change is really going to happen. I can sit here and say, you know, We need to all take the little actions in our everyday lives that'll add up to make a big difference. But it's really those companies that have the real power that can actually change things, that actually have the power to change things. But it's when it's that kind of that fine line between talking the talk and walking the walk, right? Dove actually donates millions of dollars and they really work so hard on shifting people's minds and taking that and American Eagle and Aerie that they're really all about, you know, never retouching any of their photos and showing real people just as they are and showing that real beauty, which I think is beautiful. But with any issue, whether it's mental health or bullying or body image or the environment and climate change or LGBTQ plus rights, it's the companies that really need to step up and take real change. And then I think as consumers, I think we have to make that choice of whether if we want to say, no, you've done too many bad things in the past, or if we actually have that, I think, humanity in us to be able to say, you know, we acknowledge that you're doing something good and let's sort of support that. You'll never make it in journalism. You gotta ambush people and attack people. (laughs) I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on being mean. I can do it. So I read somewhere that, like, you're obviously a media expert. You're everywhere. You're doing everything already. And now you're studying the craft or whatever at Western. I need your advice. Well, I found it interesting because I find it really difficult to be interviewed. I'd way rather, like, ask the questions than answer them. And you said that too. So I'm wondering. What's your big question? So please ask Maureen. <laughs> As legacy women in media and journalism, what's what sort of what's your advice? Also with that and just advice in journalism in general, but also that fine line between fighting for issues, but kind of that, like activism and journalism and how do you not care at all about issues when you're reporting? Well, you always do. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't expressed myself on the, I don't know, the big issues when the the issues change all the time. But for me, 20, 30, 40 years ago, when I was starting out, the big issues were the death penalty, and abortion and homosexuality. And you weren't really allowed to, it was way before people were talking seriously at all about climate change. But yeah, at CBC in particular, you weren't allowed to have opinions. Whereas now, I think a lot of people, I, I, there is very much a debate, because obviously, everybody's got an opinion on everything. And, and you only read stuff that is either black or white, Whereas most of the world is gray. So it's, you know, I I think that there's somewhere in the middle where you're allowed to have an opinion and you're, but you can, who cares really what I, on this podcast, I hope people care what I think, 
But as a journalist, I kind of wanted to be known for being fair. So my, where I would send, this is where Wendy and I find our, our connection is that she is, starts off as the serious journalist, but she's, she's so not serious when you allow her not to be. But for me, it was always about A, having an opinion and B, making sure it's an entertaining opinion. So my job throughout the 30, 40 years that I've been in media has been to talk about serious subjects, but bring a certain amount of levity so that it becomes more palatable and more, and ideally more entertaining than people want to hear more from me. Is that journalism or is it comedy? Well, that's one of the things that we talk about every week on this show. But you've got, yeah, I mean, no one's going to want to hear you. And you know this as well as anybody if you're pedantic about it, right? So you've got to have a certain deftness, a certain touch to be able to engage people where they go, oh, yeah, actually, I do care about this. And it's not depressing and it's not boring. So I think that, you know, I don't even know if you want to call that journalism. Maybe it's like entertainment journalism, like the type of thing that John Stewart does or or the Beaverton, or any of these, but they're still sources of information that's just very biased. But John Stewart now is so serious. He's a... Uh... I know. See, and, and no one's listening to him because he's so serious. That's so interesting. Well, it's kind of like you almost grab people in by being really relatable. And even that's something that as like a teenager kind of being an activist, I always try to be really relatable and at least post some aspects of my life so that then you kind of grab people in with those really fun parts. And then you kind of like actually inspire them, right? And you then input more serious things. And that's, I'm, I'm doing an internship at eTalk. And so it's been really incredible and something that I really did not expect kind of really implementing social issues, but also within pop culture and celebrity and gossip and the Kardashians, and everything like that, you know, you grab them in with the really silly, you know, funny, like Kardashians content and celebrity content, but then you input uh, real social issues and then you inspire them that way. Are you on eTalk? She's the social media. Yeah. Yeah. I do social media for eTalk. So it's been, and it's been amazing, but I, uh, yeah, it's been an incredible experience for sure. So Maureen really wanted to ask you, I always have to ask the mean questions because I'm a journalist, but I don't think this is mean. It's about your height. I just, you're teeny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so short. Yeah. I'm, um, I don't know how short I am. Cause I never, I never measure myself and yeah. And I'm sure you, you know, my dad, he's not super tall and I'm shorter than him, like somehow both my parents and stuff. So, and that's like been my, it was a really big insecurity when I was younger, but I think now, you know, it's, it's all the stupid cliche, you know, what makes you different makes you beautiful, but also like it's a unique thing. And it's, and also because I'm able to laugh at it, that's literally how I've made all of my best friends because they've seen that I can laugh at it, that I have a sense of humor. And so it's kind of been a really big superpower in that way. And you know what? Tiny but mighty. And that's that's kind of my motto. Was there a point where you realized, okay, I'm not going to grow anymore? Like my, my brother, my brother-in-law, my husband is sort of average height and his brother was tiny, but now he's like six foot something or other. Yeah, but it was like at 18, he sprung up. So, you know, maybe eat your carrots and you'll be like six six three tomorrow. I'll keep going. Yeah, seriously. I know a few years ago, I was like, I was really disappointed because I actually went to the doctor to see if I could get like growth hormones or something like that. But apparently my body was too like, like the bones were fused together and all that kind of stuff. And I would my my literal my, it's so sad that my dream is to be five feet like, you know, you can't why be depressed about the things that you just can't change like there's just there's yeah, you can't even change them. So why not? And who cares really? Anyway, and, you know, when people see me, like, everyone, like, is just, like, really shocked. They, like, make a comment or something. Then I'm like, yeah, like, I'm short. You're wearing a red shirt. Like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Wendy and I are just sitting here smiling at you like a couple of doting ants. 
No, we're 19. We're 19. Well, we were 19 once, though I don't remember much about that. Listen, good luck this year. Second year should be a lot of fun, like way more fun than the first because you know what you're dealing with. And I know we're going to be hearing about you and from you, I hope, for, for the rest of your, your life. So good luck and congratulations on everything that you've accomplished so far. Thank you. Congratulations. And thank you for the advice. I really, I really appreciate it. And you're both such incredible, hardworking women in media and just so inspiring. So thank you so much for making a trail for me and for so many other women. Aw, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be great. Well, you are great. So it was so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. I'm not even kidding. We just sat there smiling and nodding. Like, Look at her little duckling. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> I know. I think we've realized through doing this podcast that people in journalism, like me, can be very long-winded and have long answers. And you just have to engage people as people. And she was she was really good at that. I mean, she obviously cares so much about issues, but she's still a Bieber fan. So, so this is good. <laughs> If anything, I mean, eventually she will probably focus in on something because... It's too much, yeah. Yeah, it is too much. I mean, there are so many things that that need to be addressed in the world that, you know, you can't be everything to everybody all the time. But if anybody could, she certainly can, so... I found it really interesting of her saying that she, you know, that when she was starting out, her parents were to just say yes, say yes. And so... There was a period, and I think I'm still in it, where I kind of say yes to everything, but I'm very good at saying no to things that I don't think are appropriate for me or for the world. But not everybody is like that. Like I know my friend Anna Maria Tremonti, who did The Current for forever and was a foreign correspondent and a reporter with me, like she feels really bad at saying no, but there's only so much if you're going to sleep or have a life. There's only so much that you can do or accomplish in your life. So I, I think it's important that whatever she is, 19, to learn to say no to this, yes to this, whatever, and, and to still have hope. I, I like that she calls herself or stole the, the line that she's a, a hopeaholic. Yeah. The other thing, too, that I find about activism and about causes, and, and again, this conversation I've had with Ronan and you probably have with Kate, is that most people have, they're like, oh, yeah, climate change is bad. And homophobia is bad, but what can you do? It's one thing, okay, I'll, 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 I'll make a placard and go marching in the streets, but there's got to be something more tangible and perhaps more effective. And most people don't even know where to start. And uh, I think that, you know, Hannah doing what she does, she has these TED Talks, she reaches out, she's probably a force to be reckoned with on campus, is there to give practical answers to people who say, what can I do that will make a difference? Well, I think that's one of the most frustrating things that's happened in the last few years, maybe some would argue decades, is that people are saying, well, what can I do? You know, like my box is full of recyclables. But other than that, you know, like what what difference does it make? Everybody else is flying. Everybody else is is eating, you know, meat with methane and whatever, or methane, whatever, however you pronounce it. The me and methane. (laughs) You're so self-absorbed. I'm British all of a sudden. (laughs) I think they call it methane and aluminium, but but it's true, and she's doing something. So I think that's that's great, and I hope she doesn't lose the fire. I don't think she will. She's had it all her life. And also, thanks for asking the tough questions there, Wendy. <laughs> How tall are you? <laughs> she's well over four feet, and, you know, every inch of it is full of hope and determination. So I think the world's a better place because Hannah Alp is in it. Yeah, it was great to talk to her. Nice to see you. No one else can see you, but I can. Nice to see you. <laughs> Bye. 
The Women of Ill Repute with Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at womenofillrepute.com. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.